Well, good morning and a happy Thanksgiving to you. We are in the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians chapter 4 through 6, of course, build on the first three chapters. And as we read through the first three chapters of Ephesians, we discover so many things that we should be thankful to God for. We discover our calling in Christ, and in the second half of Ephesians, of course, Paul is telling us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We live out our calling in the realm of relationships, home, workplace, the life of the church. If we've been alive for a while, then we will will have discovered that every now and then we struggle in our relationships. Sooner or later, someone will offend us or will offend someone else. Maybe you remember being a child and maybe you fought with your brother or sister and then your parents came along and said, okay, now hug each other, make up, love. And that felt really false, awkward, forced. And maybe a lot of reconciliation meetings since then have felt that way, a bit insincere, a bit contrived. Is this lack of relational harmony, harmony just the way life is? You know, just something that we need to accept. Should we just become accustomed to strained relationships and, you know, maybe not a hardened heart, but at least a heart that's a bit callous, that wants to maintain a safe distance? Should we just get used to the relational distancing in our marriages, in our families, and even in the life of the church? Could it even be different? In this passage that we're going to read today, God calls us to walk in love in all of our relationships. Why would this be important to God? Do we really have to walk in love? Does it make a difference if we fail to forgive? Does it really matter that much if I just keep my distance from my brothers and sisters? What does that mean for the church? What does that mean in the spiritual realm? Why would it be so important to God that we walk in love? The main point of this message is don't grieve God, imitate God. Don't grieve God, imitate God. And that comes right out of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 through chapter 5 verse 2. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away, be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the first word in verse 25 is, is therefore. So it, it points back, this passage, it points back to verses 23 to 24, where Paul talks about being renewed in the spirit of our minds, and we are to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, Paul writes. Last week, Pastor Jonathan, he preached an excellent message on verses 17 to 24 of chapter 4. And he said that we've been in the school of Christ. And if we've been in the school of Christ, then we have heard from Christ. We have been taught by the Lord. We have put off the old self and put on the new self. And as we learn from Christ, as we follow him, we are being renewed in the spirit of our minds. And so we are learning to think differently. We are making new choices We're learning to behave in a new way. This paragraph that we just read, chapter 4, verse 25 to 5, 2, it just shows us how this renewal of the mind happens in the nitty-gritty of interpersonal relationships where you and I live every day. There are 13 commands. They're grouped in different ways. There's this contrast between the old life and the new life. And the commands, they carry the idea that we can actually make it a habit to live in a new way, to walk in love. Before we study what it looks like to walk in love, let's talk about what it looks like to not walk in love. When we do not walk in love, we grieve the Spirit of God deeply. Verse 30, it's central to the whole paragraph. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This command, it stands somewhat independently of the others, and it provides motivation to obey all of them. It focuses right on the heart of God. So often when I'm not doing well in my relationship with another person, I think it's just about me and that person across the room, that person across the table. And I'm not mindful of how this actually impacts the heart of God. To grieve is to cause sorrow, to distress, to hurt. And so when we separate from one another, when we maintain our distance, we actually grieve God. Well, how do we grieve God in this passage? We grieve God when we judge one another, when we tear each other down. We grieve God when we fail to forgive. We cause God great sorrow. So our lack of forgiveness, God doesn't look at it passively. Why is God so grieved when we fail to forgive? Well, chapter 1, verse 13 of Ephesians. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So if we're in Christ, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present as a guarantee of our future inheritance. And we are to live in light of that future inheritance. You see, we are God's treasured people, a church united by the Holy Spirit, one body. And so we are to live the future now. We are to live for the day of redemption, Paul says. And so we've been sealed by the Spirit for reconciliation, not Separation. We've been sealed for redemption, not 
revenge. We've been sealed for healing, not judgment. Chapter 2, verse 10 of Ephesians. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in Christ, we're a new creation. We have been recreated in Jesus for good works. And those good works can be summarized in the phrase, walk in love. Walk in life, love. We've been saved for this. We actually have the power to not sin, as Pastor Jonathan said last week. We have the power to walk in a new way. Paul, in his prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 1, he prays that they will know the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward them. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We just sang, Lord, show us your power. Well, as we live life, family life, church life, work life, we can pray that prayer, Lord, show us your power in our relationships. You see, we've been given a spirit of wisdom and revelation, not a spirit of futile thinking, of a darkened understanding, of a calloused heart. So we grieve the spirit of God deeply because he's present in our lives to enable us to live differently. The Spirit is present to enable us to live differently. He calls us to the renewal of our minds. He calls us to think differently about our life, our relationships, our existence, the grandeur of our calling. So often, as I said before, when, we're in, when I'm in conflict with someone else, I think it's just about me and the person that I see. But according to Paul, much more is going on. There's to be a testimony to those around us and even to the powers of the air. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. He says that we are reconciled to God and each other so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So that's the grandeur of our calling. And so so often I find that I live below this calling. I do not walk in a manner worthy of my calling. I just think about the human plane. I don't think about how it will impact those around me. I don't think about the testimony that's to be given to the powers of the air. You see, the whole universe is to look at us, God's people, and say, wow, the wisdom of God. How is that even possible that they love each other so much? Do you see God's forming a people? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 22 says that we're being built together. We're being knit together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit that resides within us, he always invites us. He calls us. He beckons us. He urges us to walk as one. The Spirit graces us with humility, with gentleness, with patience, so that we can bear with one another in love. The Holy Spirit encourages us to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit offers Himself as a living foundation for our unity, and so we have every reason to walk together. When we do not walk in love, we grieve the Holy Spirit deeply because he's present in our life to enable us to live differently and he's always working to knit knit us together. 
So if my heart is guarded, if I'm walking away from my brothers and sisters, if I'm separating myself, I'm going in a direction completely contrary to the work of the Holy Spirit. And it grieves them. When we do not walk in love, we grieve the Spirit of God deeply. And that's not the only thing happening. According to Paul, we not only grieve the Spirit of God deeply, we give a secure foothold to the devil. Verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. That word opportunity, it means a secure foothold. Don't give a secure foothold to the enemy. Don't give him a platform in your soul upon which he will build things. Don't give an opportunity to the devil. The father of lies wants you to return to your futile thinking, to your darkened understanding. He wants your heart to become calloused. Our hearts are not neutral territory. We are either walking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit or we are giving an opportunity to the enemy of our souls. Look at that list in verse 31. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's the old self. It's not the new self. This is the enemy's list. It's not the Holy Spirit's list. That's why it grieves him so deeply. Bitterness, it's that inner resentment that just festers there in your soul. It inclines your heart toward harsh, unloving opinions of others. It makes you sour. It fills your tongue with venom. One writer has said that bitterness is like eating rat poison and thinking that your neighbor is going to die. If you're bitter, you're always going to walk around wounded, limping, out of joint, not seeing life correctly. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 13. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. You see, bitterness will defile us, but it will also contaminate others. That's the nature of it. Bitterness is not neutral territory. It provides a foothold for the enemy to do his work. And so Paul talks about bitterness, then he talks about wrath and anger. Wrath and anger, those are synonyms. Wrath is more of an angry outburst. The word wrath actually means to to snort like a, a horse. Just an outburst of anger. Now Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Anger, it, it's a natural reaction. And so don't think that you will never become angry if you are a follower of Jesus. Anger is just a warning signal that something's going on. He says, be angry and do not sin. The question is not whether our anger is justified or not. It's what we do with it. If we see someone suffering an injustice, being wronged, we should respond with emotion. (laughs) We shouldn't stay in a neutral place. But the question is, what do we do with our anger? Be angry and do not sin. Don't miss the mark. 
He talks about wrath. He talks about anger, which is a more residual anger, a, soothe, uh, a seething anger. Will we allow anger to dominate it? Will we allow it to consume us, to control the way that we think, the way that we make choices, the way that we behave? Clamor. Clamor is just an outcry that's fed by anger and strife. It's yelling, brawling, a lack of restraint. Slander, you speak evil of someone. You choose to defame another person. I was on the phone with a friend from California this week, and he told me about a group that is formed in his city. And the express purpose of this group is to defame a Christian leader in that city. They gather to share their grievances. And the scary thing about these groups is that they often think that they're being motivated by righteous indignation. Like they, they think there's actually something of God in what they're doing. But just imagine how toxic that group must be. If their reason for being is to destroy another, the Holy Spirit cannot be in that. The Holy Spirit would never inspire that. And what they do, it will defile them and it will contaminate others. It's foolishness. It's futile thinking. Verse 29 speaks of this corrupting talk. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The word corrupting, it means putrid, foul. It's used in the New Testament for bad fish. Anyone like the smell of bad fish? Jesus uses this word for bad trees, bad fruit. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, worthless talk, useless talk, it comes from a bitter, wrath-filled heart. Defiles us, destroys community. James, in chapter 3, he talks about the power of worthless words, useless words. Just a little spark can light a forest ablaze. And the thing about a forest fire, we're familiar with forest fires in British Columbia, and so we know that you cannot control the speed of a forest fire. You cannot control where it will go, how fast it will go. And maybe you put it out, and then it simmers underground, and suddenly it comes out again and just bursts into flame. That's the nature of a worthless word. Once it's spoken, it's gone. You cannot bring it back. And so... James would encourage us and Paul would encourage us to not light forest fires, but he says, speak words of grace to those who hear. As fits the occasion, verse 29. That can be also be translated, you know, if there is a gap in a person's understanding, speak a word that will provide what's lacking, supply what's lacking. So in our conversation with each other, do we surprise, supply what's lacking in a way that brings grace to the conversation, 
that actually encourages our brothers and sisters, that, that enables them to stay in relationship, or do our words fill in the blanks in such a way that people walk away from each other? They are suspicious of each other. They wonder about the motivations of others. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what happened, but what, what I imagine, and you fill in the blank and you plant seeds of venom. And those words defile you and contaminate others. Words of grace, they're genuine words. They're truthful words. They enable people to stay together, whether it be a family, a community, a church. Paul sums up all of those things that he lists in verse 31 with the word malice, which just is a mean-spirited disposition. It's at the root of all of the vices that are listed there. It seems like there's a progression in that verse that There's an attitude of bitterness which resides in the heart and this becomes a disposition toward anger and because the heart is angry, the mouth begins to speak. (laughs) What resides in the soul eventually comes out. And if the soul is bitter, angry, there are words of slander, of defamation. There's corrupting, foul talk. Bitterness defiles us and eventually eventually it contaminates others. That's just the way it is. It's always that way. And so Paul says to the Ephesians, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't allow it to happen. Don't provide the enemy with that secure platform in your soul upon which he can build. Don't give him a chance to exercise his influence. Paul says put it away. That word put it away put away means just make a clean sweep. Allow the Lord to clean all of that out of your heart and then engage in relationship in a completely different way. And this is the good news. There's actually a different way to live. Chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, when we walk in love, we imitate God. Our calling is to imitate God. The word be there, be kind to one another, be imitators of God, it carries the idea of becoming. We're in the process of becoming like God. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. And what is God like? If we are to imitate God, what's he like? Well, one of the most remarkable stories in all of Scripture is the story of of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was king of Judah. Hezekiah restored worship to the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, he called all of Judah, he called Israel to come celebrate the Passover, and they celebrated for seven days. Following that Passover celebration, the Assyrians, they, they invaded Judah, and they were at the doorstep of Jerusalem. And Hezekiah, he goes to the temple, and he cries out to God for deliverance, and the angel of the Lord does battle for Judah, and the Assyrians are defeated, and they have to go home. Tremendous story of deliverance. Sometime later, he falls ill, terminal illness. And the prophet Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, get your house 
in order. And again, Hezekiah goes to the temple and he cries out to God for mercy. And the word of the Lord comes through the prophet Isaiah that the Lord will extend his life for 15 years and as a sign that he will be healed, the sundial goes back 10 steps. So these are the stories of Hezekiah's life. Miraculous deliverance, miraculous healing. Manasseh, his son, grows up hearing these stories. Manasseh becomes king. What does Manasseh do? Manasseh restores idolatry to the temple in Jerusalem. He engages in sorcery. He consults mediums. He builds altars to all of the gods of the surrounding nations. He sacrifices his own children on those altars. Second Chronicles chapter 33 says that he led Judah to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. And he does that even though the prophets of the Lord are speaking to him and saying, don't go this way, Hezekiah. He pays no attention. What would you do with a man like that? What does Manasseh deserve? Well, the Assyrians, they invade Judah and Manasseh is taken off into captivity. And later in that same chapter, 2 Chronicles 33, we we read verse 12, And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And I remember reading that passage a number of years ago and I thought, no! Lord, he doesn't deserve forgiveness. And he certainly doesn't deserve to be restored to his kingdom. He should be fried on the altar. God, he sacrificed his own children. What kind of love is that? What kind of grace? Well, it's the same grace that you and I have experienced. It's the same love that God has loved us with. You see, I'm sure there was a day in your journey, if you're a follower of of Christ, when you, dead in your sin, you cried out to God and said, God, have mercy on me. Save me. Forgive me. Lord, I don't deserve it. But have mercy on me. You were probably so confused, you didn't even know what you were asking that day. You didn't even, weren't sure what it meant to follow Jesus. You just knew that you needed help. And God extended grace to you. The same grace that God extended to Manasseh. You see, Jesus has made a way for us. And when we walk in love, we imitate God by forgiving out of love. We forgive out of a place of having been loved. Paul says, as beloved children. That word beloved is a special word. When the father speaks to Jesus, he calls him my beloved son. Uh, The word beloved means an only child. And so you are sons and daughters of God. And the Lord sees you as beloved. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, then you know that you are loved, that you are accepted. And when you forgive someone else, you do that out of a place of having been loved. You are loved. You're secure in that. 
Nothing can separate you from the love of God. There is no power in heaven or on earth that can separate you from Christ's love. And so when you extend grace, you are able to do that because you are loved. That's why Paul can say in verse 32 of chapter 4, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So we operate from a place of compassion, not bitterness. This comes from the Spirit of God. If we're children of God, then we love. It's not negotiable. It's not optional. Sometimes in the futility of my thinking, I think it's actually an option. If we're children of God, it's not. It's it's a command. We are to forgive. And to forgive is just to exercise grace. It's to show favor, kindness to those who don't deserve it. If we're beloved children of God, we forgive. Now, there's some misconceptions around forgiveness. Sometimes people will say, well, if you forgive, you forget. If you have any kind of memory, it's hard to forget. God doesn't forget that Jesus died on the cross, but God has forgiven us. Sometimes we think that there should be a warm feeling before we forgive. Forgiveness is a choice. You make the choice to no longer hold that person that you consider to be guilty to be guilty. You make the choice to no longer hold that person to be indebted to you. You choose to forgive, to extend grace, to release the person. It's a choice. And what motivates us? Well, verse 32, as God in Christ forgave you. So this is Thanksgiving weekend. Wouldn't it be a great act of gratitude, a great act of thanksgiving, an expression of our gratitude to God if we would just forgive those that have offended us and release them? Because Christ has forgiven us. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 33, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So we exercise grace since God has forgiven us. We operate from a place of compassion, not bitterness. We forgive because that is our calling. We choose to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Now, Pastor Jonathan was talking about pop quizzes, right? Last week. In relational life, there are a lot of pop quizzes, aren't there? Uh, Things surprise us. Uh, Last year, uh, Judy and I were surprised by a person close to us. We've known this person for over 30 years. And suddenly we discovered that the person had been living a lie before us for 30 years. And that lie had impacted us as a couple, had impacted our children. And so when I discovered that I had been deceived, my first response was one of anger. How could that person have done that? 30 years! I felt like a fool. Like, how could I have been so naive? Why didn't I see it? And I had a choice to make. Will I allow bitterness to now reside in my soul? 
Will I allow it to become that seething kind of anger that just sits there? And will it come out in my speech, speaking words of slander? I had a choice to make. You see, when we walk in love, we imitate God by making sacrifices out of love. And this happens in real life. We make sacrifices out of love. Chapter 5, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As we walk through the pain of offense in relationships, as we go through times of suffering, we walk right into the gospel and begin to understand what Jesus has done for us. We begin to understand Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You see, we love as Christ loved us. He gave himself up for us. He took the initiative while we were still sinners. What did it mean for Jesus to go to the cross? Well, it meant loving people that he would, know, would never love him. It meant loving people that were rejecting him, that hated him. That's what it meant for Jesus to go to the cross. And we are called to follow We'll only come to understand the mystery of the gospel as we follow Christ's example, as we die to self, as we die to our right to defend ourselves, to justify ourselves, to diminish the other, to set things straight. It's only as we die to ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus that we will really come to an understanding of the gospel, of the Lord that we follow. When we walk in love, we imitate God by speaking, sorry, by forgiving out of love, by making sacrifices out of love. The sacrifice of Jesus was a fragrant aroma to the Father. When we make sacrifices out of love, again, a fragrant aroma arises to the Father. We forgive out of love, we make sacrifices out of love, and we speak the truth in love. Verse 25 of chapter 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. This verse has as its background Zechariah chapter 8. In Zechariah chapter 8, the people of God are known as being truth speakers. Jerusalem is called the city of truth. What a wonderful designation for a city, the city of truth. People just speak the truth there. We The church are the new people of God, according to Paul. So we have come to know Jesus, the truth. We're in the school of Christ. We're being taught by him. The Holy Spirit is present within us, leading us into truth. Inspiring us to speak the truth in love. We understand that we are members of one another. That we've been united by the Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit knitting us together and we want more than nothing else to say things that will contribute to the unity of the body of Christ. And so we speak the truth in love. I may have shared this story with you before, but I think it fits really well here. One day I I came home from work and 
One of my daughters was on the floor. She was playing. I'm not sure why, but for some reason it made me angry. And so I came through the door and I responded to what she was doing with anger. And then I moved on. And as I moved on, I thought, oh my goodness, what did I do? So I go back to her and I say, honey, I'm, dad is so sorry. I messed up. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. And she looked up from what she was doing. She said, dad, I don't want you to say you're sorry. I want you to change. So I just kind of pulled myself away. (laughs) A word of truth, right? Like, Dad, I don't want you to keep on doing the same thing over and over again. Change. Now, the wonderful thing about the gospel is that there is power to change. We can choose to allow bitterness to reside in our souls... We can choose to allow anger to reside there. And we can allow it to come out in really harmful ways. Words of slander, corrupt talk, foul talk. We can allow that to happen and smell like bad fish. Or we can choose to walk in love. We can choose to forgive out of love. We can choose to make sacrifices out of love. We can choose to speak the truth in love to each other. And when we do that, we will be a fragrant aroma to the Father. We all know what it's like to enter a room where there's a fragrant aroma, right? How soothing, how healing that can be. Do we want to smell like bad fish? Or do we want to be a fragrant aroma? Paul says, don't grieve the Spirit of God. Live for the day of redemption. Imitate God. You've been called to holiness. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. The Holy Spirit is present within you to enable you to live in this way. Why would you not walk in love? Put away bitterness, wrath, anger. Clamor, slander, put it away. Put it away and walk in love for the praise of his glory. May this be our act of thanksgiving today to choose to forgive, to choose to make sacrifices for the good of others, choose to speak the truth in love that the body of Christ might be built up and Jesus glorified so that a watching world might say, wow, how is it? that they love each other so deeply, that we might be, as Paul said, a testimony to the powers of the air, that Jesus did come in the name of the Father, that he was sent by the Father, and it is a new day because of Jesus. Let's pray. So in the quietness of our hearts, I would encourage you to just ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything that I need to put away? Lord, is there anything in my heart that I need to put away today? 
And the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is present within you to help you put those things away. Ask for the Lord to help you. And in the quietness of your heart, I would encourage you to ask the Lord if there is someone that you need to forgive. You need to exercise grace. Maybe you feel like they don't deserve forgiveness, but the Lord is asking you to forgive, to release them. And again, in the messiness of relationships, sometimes it's really hard but the Holy Spirit is present to enable you to choose to forgive. And so do that out of obedience. Because Christ loved you. Father, we thank you (laughs) on this Thanksgiving Day. We thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. When we were dead in our sin, when we were confused, when we were calloused, when we were far from you, you chose to come and live among us to reveal the heart of the Father. You We're faithful to the cross and you died for us and we thank you for taking our sin upon yourself. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. Thank you for a new life. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to live within us. Thank you that you're present within us to lead us in this way of love, to teach us to love. You are present to enable us to forgive to make the sacrifices that need to be made to stay in relationship, to speak the truth in love. Oh God, may we walk under the inspiration, the anointing of your spirit this day, this week, for your glory. May we make every effort to maintain the unity that you have gifted us with. And so we praise you and we thank you. May my brothers and sisters have a wonderful Thanksgiving day and a wonderful week of gratitude to you. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend.